0: And welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots Podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal.
1: and I'm Tracy Alloway.
0: So, Tracy, I know that you don't play chess—that we've already established.
1: <laughs> but uh, was
0: this—is the show Queen's Gambit? Is that stream in Hong Kong?
1: Okay. So, two things. First of all. I do play chess. I know how to play chess. I just don't play it with any regularity. And I don't know like the names of the moves and the openings and all of that in the same way that you do. Secondly, I did watch Queen's Gambit and I thought it was excellent.
0: Did you, after watching it, get excited and like want to play chess and go online and have any interest? Because a lot of people apparently did.
1: Yeah, I heard that. So my problem with chess has always been that I'm just not um, very good at it, and I'm not motivated to get better. So when I watch something like Queen's Gambit, I actually find it demotivating, because I think I'll just never be as good as these people. (laughs) So why bother? But um, yes, I heard that it set off a huge wave of interest uh, in chess over, uh, well, in the States, primarily.
0: Yeah, no, it has been pretty wild. I was... I mean, I've played chess all my life, but very off and on, like I'll go through these phases where I'll play a lot and get addicted. And then I realize I'm playing too much and I won't play for two years <laughs> and then I'll start playing again. So I was among the people who, after watching it, started playing a bunch again. And now, uh, like when I'm like getting makeup done for going on TV or on the subway or something like that, I'll like or in a car, I'll play like a quick uh A quick game of a blitz on chess.com. So I am one of those people who has got the bug again after watching that show.
1: Now, if you're going to get addicted to something, I'd say playing uh, chess online is probably a reasonably healthy addiction, right?
0: Yeah, I guess so. Um, You know what else I've gotten really addicted to uh, besides playing chess? Go on. Watching grandmasters stream their chess games live online and talking about them.
1: See, now this is something that I I don't think. I would necessarily get. Why is that? (laughs) Why is that interesting?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, it is. I find it to be extremely transfixing, but um, there's something I particularly like watching someone do something and seeing them talk about their thought process at the same time. Like, I find that I learn well that way. So it's like better than reading for me, better than listening, like watching someone do something, whether it's cooking, whether it's some other skill or whether it's playing chess, the process of watching someone sort of like talk out their thoughts in real time, I find to be very compelling.
1: Yeah, I could see that being um, mildly interesting. Sure. But you're, I mean, you're right that chess has had a massive year. And alongside this renewed interest from Queen's Gambit, we are seeing like a major, major uptick or a major, let me say, a major change in the way people are actually like watching and engaging in chess.
0: Yeah, and of course, this whole, like, phenomenon of people streaming their chess games live, it's part of a much bigger phenomenon, which I'm really fascinated about, but I actually haven't, like, dug into that much, which is the whole world of, like, Twitch streaming. And there are people who make lots of money and are just incredibly popular um, playing video games live online, so people watching someone play a game, like, I don't even know what a popular game is, Halo, I think that's a popular game, stuff like that. I don't know, World of Warcraft or something, streaming that live on Twitch. People have like millions of fans. It's this massive, massive phenomenon of which chess is a sort of a small part of it.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. But also, I mean, 2020, we did see a, a pickup in people watching video games on Twitch. Everyone was stuck at home. Yeah. You're sort of looking for new uh, sources of entertainment. And somewhat surprisingly, chess has also been part of that uh, 2020 streaming or Twitch boom.
0: So I am very excited about our guest because not only are we going to be talking to someone who streams on Twitch, he's also in his own right, one of the best chess players in the entire world. Twitch aside, uh, a real treat to be talking to him about the sort of, I guess, the chess economy is actually someone we had on years ago on Odd Lots uh, to talk about trading and uh, overlaps between chess and trading, but I'm very excited. We're going to be speaking to uh, Hikaru Nakamura. He uh, became a grandmaster at the age of 15, beating, at the time, breaking the record. Apparently, some people have broken the record for the youngest ever American grandmaster at the time. He's also the highest-rated blitz chess player in the entire world, also just one of the uh, top players in regular time controls, and he is fantastic to watch on Twitch. So, Hakara, uh, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Uh, it's good to be here. It's been
0: quite a while. So what's this year been like? Uh, what's, uh, how do, is the, um, what's the post-Queen's Gambit world? How different is it compared to the pre-Queen's Gambit world?
2: So, I mean, I think uh, you kind of have to go back to the beginning of COVID in terms of chess boom. So one of the weird things with chess is that Queen's Gambit certainly has been a boom, but there was actually another boom um, of chess on Twitch specifically between March and about June of huh. this year. So in, in about March, when, when, um, when the lockdown started happening and everyone was staying at home, um, the viewership for chess and the viewership in general on Twitch started exploding, um, but in particular, one of the one of the things that's very unique to Twitch is that when you see the top streamers or the top influencers, what they gravitate towards in terms of games. Uh, now, I know you mentioned Halo before. Uh, if you said that on Twitch to people, they'd be like, "You're such a boomer," um, because Halo. I, <laughs> I am a boomer. At all. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know anything about video games. I just
0: that was the first okay. one that came to my head. I knew I was going to embarrass myself when I said that.
2: No, it's it's fine. But so, like, this this kind of thing is there are <laughs> a lot of games that people play, and um, one thing that's that's uh, u- unique, I think. To chess is a sort of it's 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 had this presence offline over the board, chess has been around, I mean, forever, basically. But online, there hasn't really been this interest, or there hasn't been where you can find people who are streaming it um in the way that Twitch really uh sets itself apart. Because with Twitch, you can just go, you can look up the chess category and find people to watch. So um, probably in March, I would say March or early April, a couple of the biggest streamers on the platform they started getting interested in chess. And and that sort of created this snowball effect where because of them, a lot of of other streamers started playing chess as well and um, and then, then eventually it kind of culminated in this major uh, event that we had called PogChamps in June but there was this big boom from like March to June then there was sort of it, it dipped a little bit I would say in July, August and September it didn't like go down to where it was before COVID before COVID happened but um, around like uh, late October and then of course into November uh, it's, it's taken off again and I, I would say actually in many ways my viewership now is higher than it was even at the peak uh, when there was the first boom on twitch and i think that's largely because that boom in march was solely people who are already on twitch who are used to watching streamers and influencers on the platform Whereas queen's Gambit, i think there's a lot of people who are, just watched the show on netflix and they're like they weren't on twitch or they weren't looking on twitch and youtube and then they sort of were trying to find chess content so they they end, they end up filtering over to both uh both both platforms
1: so we're going to get into um a lot of what's going on on Twitch and like the dynamics driving that and and things like that in more detail. But before we do, since you mentioned Queen's Gambit, how accurate was that of a a portrayal of the world of competitive chess? And did you like it?
2: (laughs) Yeah. So first of all, I love the show. I think, um, in terms of chess, whether it's a television show or whether it's a movie, it's by far and away the best portrayal of chess because there are a lot of there are a lot of moments in the show. Um, I, I don't know if you both watched it or, or not, but. There, there were some moments where you see uh, this, this this character, Benny Watts, who's the United States chess champion, and you see him living in this very sort of um, let's let's just say it's it's not it's not a great apartment in New York City. And in many ways, that's been that's that's a very accurate portrayal because even the best players in the world of chess, outside of say the absolute best, like the top two or three players, they would not be making a lot of money from the game of chess itself. So there are a lot of moments in the show when I was watching where it's like, wow, you know, it reminds me of some some experience that I had or, or things along those lines so for the most part it's very accurate the only part that i think unfortunately was not so accurate is that um there are there are some uh i would i would say players don't always treat female players as nicely as uh, beth Harmon is treated in the show so there there can be some uh there can be a barrier to entry for for female players um so that's the only thing that i would say is not necessarily accurate but overall it's fantastically done and i loved it uh
0: so you mentioned that you're uh, in the post uh, Queens Gambit world that uh, your streaming uh, numbers are as high as ever. Let's talk about the business of streaming. First of all, like how many uh, people watch you at any uh, given time, typically?
2: Right. So, I, so just to give some 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 more background, I think sure. um, probably when I when I I started streaming about a year ago, and up until maybe January February, I would get maybe let's just say two thousand to three thousand viewers concurrent viewers um, on average. And then during the peak, when it really started going up in, in March and April, I was getting around ten to 12,000 every stream. Um, so it went up there, and then, it, then there was a summer lull where it dipped a little bit below 10,000, maybe it was around 9,000. But nowadays, especially in the last month or so, I'm getting around fifteen to 16,000 concurrent viewers um, for every stream. And when there have been major chess tournaments, which I'll, I, we can talk about esports as well, but when there have been major competitions, the, the peak viewership I've had has actually been close to 50,000 viewers. So it's really, really large yeah
1: so you mentioned that um it all kicked off uh with some existing twitch streamers who suddenly got interested in chess why did that happen and what's what's the overlap between the usual video games people are are streaming on that platform versus the oldest game in the world so i think um first of
2: all it's very tricky because one thing that a lot of streamers who do variety where they don't just play one game per se, they tend to they tend to move around and try to see where they get the best audiences and the most people watch. So when you think about chess, and especially like in March or April before it had gotten this traction, um you would think that most streamers, especially the biggest one, they biggest ones, they'd be worried that their numbers would be going down if they tried to stream chess. Um, but I would say one streamer in particular, his name is XQCOW. Um he started streaming chess pretty much regardless of what his viewership was because he loved the game, and so naturally, more streamers started seeing that. And um, and then beyond that, I think chess is just a very easy game to get into. I mean, you don't you really if you you only have to learn the basic rules of how the pieces move, and then you can just go off on your own and play games. Um, and so I think it's very friendly, and the barrier to entry is really low. Unlike say a major esport like League of Legends, for example, where you have to learn all the different. Basically different champions you can pick. You have to learn a lot of different strategies. there's there, there's a lot to learn. And so the barrier to entry, even just starting out, is very high. Whereas with chess, it's a lot lower. So I think I think that's one of the biggest reasons that, that it started getting going is that there were a couple of streamers they just like they didn't care. They just loved the game of chess and they they just started playing as much as they as much as they could.
0: So you mentioned in the show uh, that one character not exact he was like the best player in the. US I guess and uh, his life didn't seem that great he wasn't like rolling in riches uh, what is the revenue model for you in terms of how audience on Twitch is monetized and then what's like the combination of like ads sponsorship like how does that all work as a pro?
2: Yeah, so um, so so none of this. To be clear, none of this really existed in a substantial way if you go back nine months. So I've been very fortunate. Um, wow. Yeah, so in terms of in terms of the audience, I think the way that you monetize your viewership is when you have very high numbers and you have high averages over, say, the thirty days or ninety day periods. Um, sponsors see those numbers, and then you have. You have opportunities where they're sponsored to come to you and they ask you to promote their product, um, whatever it may be. For example, I, I've done a couple of them, but probably I, I did a, a bounty, the, the paper towel company, I, I did an ad yes. for them several months back. And so when you have these very high concurrent viewers and these averages, um, a lot of sponsors are interested in getting their product out there. And I think this also speaks to media as well, that you see more of these sponsors moving moving to Twitch, moving to YouTube, and seeing that in this day and age, most people are, are now like getting their content from the internet as opposed to watching on TV. Probably the biggest, way, that's the biggest way that the numbers matter. Um, you can also run, run ads. A lot of streamers run ads. You can run like uh thirty second ads, a sixty second ad um, or a three minute ad. So that's usually the periods of times that you run ads. Um, I don't know exactly how that revenue is calculated um, in terms of how much you make, but the more viewers you have, obviously, obviously, it's higher. Um, and then the third third part is um is subscribers. So you can subscribe to any channel on Twitch for five dollars a month uh, for tier one. There's a tier two option, which is ten dollars, I believe, and then the tier three, which is twenty five dollars a month. and Basically what you get out of this is you get the the usage of the emotes so I don't know how familiar the, the audience is going to be with Twitch, but when you go on Twitch, a large part of it is the interaction between the streamer and the community itself. So when you're watching the chat scroll, a lot of times there are these emotes they're basically like, yeah, where they just, you know, things are moving and, and it just becomes this big community. And so a lot of people subscribe for that um, on top of essentially just supporting the streamer as well. So it's, it's very similar, I would say to like tipping, but you get some added benefits on top of that.
1: Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about this, I, I guess, that interactive element of Twitch streaming. So we already ta- mentioned um, that you you play Blitz or Speed Chess. And I, I think you're sort of known for playing in a very um, specific way. And, and you've done stuff in the past, like playing blindfold matches or matches without queens and rooks and things like that. Do you think your particular style of chess is especially well-suited to a live platform like Twitch? And is there anything that you do um, or that you've started to do in, in order to adapt to that platform?
2: So I think um, certainly the, I'm, I'm very well adapted to it because when, when I look back um, to my, when I was much younger, some of my earliest uh, experiences of playing chess were on the internet. I used to play on the site called the Internet Chess Club when I was like 10 or 11 years old. And in many cases, I would play games i would actually type at the same time. So it, it was basically, I'd play the games that so I'd be talking to people via typing because at the time there, there, there wasn't the technology. Um, so in many ways, I think I'm very fortunate that I had that because that certainly has helped me transition onto Twitch. Um, um, I don't think I don't think I've really had to change anything specifically the one thing that I have done is I've tried to make chess much more friendly to the people who are not say grandmasters of the game so you know like Joe could Joe, Joe could allude to this but when he watches I definitely will use certain words at times that make no sense whatsoever so if you spent if you spend a lot of time playing chess and you tune into my stream you might be like wait what did he just say what what's that piece what's what's going on because I use some 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 jargon that's not a uh, not standard per se so that's the one thing I have done. But I think a large part of it and probably the biggest reason that I have the success I do is um, the fact that I am as good at chess as I am over the board having that, creden- having that credibility and the fact that I can also play the games and more or less in some cases just talk to the audience while I'm playing the game and still win most of the time.
0: All right, here's a stupid question that I've been wondering about the whole time. And I have to say, like, I've tuned into a bunch of your streams. I find it really enjoyable. I think you're sort of a natural host extremely engaging it looks like you're having a fun time it's clear the uh your fans are enjoying it what if someone is 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 someone you're playing against did they ever watch it like you're talking about you're thinking you're talking about potential moves you're talking about um you know certain ideas that you may be exploring in the game does it ever happen that like the person on the other end is like watching you talk through the game
2: so this is this is uh, common, I think, to to streaming in general. It doesn't matter right. whether it's chess or other games. What you're referring to is essentially called stream sniping, where someone watches the stream. And so, like you know, if it's if it's like hmm. a shooter game, for example, and you're on a map, someone someone will watch the stream and they'll try to magically they'll they'll see where so you are. So there's a word the for this.
0: There's a name for this phenomenon.
2: Yeah, it, it's called stream sniping. Oh, I love it. So so that's what's called. Yeah. So I mean, it does happen from time to time again. Um, there, there is a difference in the competitions. The when I when I'm normally just doing my regular streaming, it's more it's more for fun. It's it's just sort of in the spirit. So it does happen from time to time, but but very rarely does it really affect the outcome of the game per se. Um, and most players don't do it, so it's not that big of an issue. Um, when it comes to like the more serious competitions um, and chess, like having these these big prize funds, these these sort of eSport competitions, then it's, then of course I'm not I'm not actually usually, usually streaming, but they it compl- they complement each other.
1: So I wanted to ask you about the response from, I guess, the traditional chess community. Uh, The game is not necessarily known for adapting and evolving that quickly. People have been playing, well, from my understanding, like fairly similarly for many, many years. Has there been any pushback to playing chess in this particular way on this new platform? Do people think that, you know, it's somehow like, denigrating the game to to be doing it in this way. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah so i would say when during the first in around april april and may specifically there were certainly some people who were, who were really unhappy to see what was happening um because chess has traditionally has been very sort of closed or ha- hasn't been much in the way of change if you, if you look at chess now versus say 20 years ago there isn't really much of a difference it's generally the same players the same organizers just, a, just the general um the general structure and everything around it has been pretty similar so i think there were definitely people who were upset um my my argument i think that in many ways, the thing that is most important and the key is if you look at um, if you look at the game of chess. I think there have been it's not studies, but I think there was there was a fact that was given by the governing body of chess fide that said approximately 500 million people or 600 million people around the world have been exposed to the game of chess. Now, that is a very large number. I don't think there is any other game, um, sort of basically a non sport, where you can make that claim that there's that number of people worldwide who are familiar with something. Um, So from that standpoint, when you see a number like that, you have to realize the vast majority of those people are not people who are going to play the game at a high level. Um, in fact, most of those people are simply going to probably know the basic moves or know what chess is that you have, you know, the king, the queen, the bishop, knights and so forth. So so for that reason, I think when you have such a large potential market, it's very important to be inclusive of people of all levels. And like like you were saying earlier, Tracy, very oftentimes when someone's new to chess and they play the game, let's just say they start out playing, they lose some games It's like, well, I'm stupid. I, I you know, I, I can't play this game. I'm just not going to ever going to be any good at it. Um, I think that's certainly uh turns people off. And so you really do need to be very inclusive of everybody. And so that's also why like when when I play very oftentimes I do keep it simpler. I do try to make it more understandable. And and also like there are many times when I'm streaming I'll say, oh, what a stupid move I made. And to me, it is very stupid because I I really like perfection. I try to be the best I can, but I think that's also very relatable for a lot of the audience because most people who are watching are, are not super strong chess players. They're just trying to get something out of the game of chess.
1: So just on that note, again, I haven't spent that much time on Twitch, but one of my understandings of it is that it's not exactly the friendliest place in the world. Like a lot of the people who are watching you play might be insulting you at the same time and saying, oh, you just made a really stupid move. How do you you deal with that sort of element of toxicity when you're trying to make the game as welcoming and inclusive as possible?
2: Well, now, now you come to basically the thing that makes Twitch the most amazing, which is that all channels have uh, moderators. And these are people, just just normal people on Twitch who for the most part, they volunteer their time and they moderate so they can like time out a comment or block a comment and and these sorts of things. And um, I, I'm very fortunate that I've had a, a team of moderators over the last couple of years who who really work very hard to keep the chat as friendly as they can. And there are many ways that you can do that. For example, you can, you can like, time uh, timeout, a comment, you can block a comment, so it just vanishes. You can also ban some from the channel, but there are other ways you can do it where, I, I mentioned emotes, which are like these these gifts, that are just like moving emotes on the screen. And sometimes the chat becomes too like too rowdy, or the comments are too negative. Sometimes you just turn it into uh, what we call emote only. So you can literally only write with emotes. You can't even like write a comment in the chat. And so um, the moderators really, in many ways, are, are what make Twitch amazing because you have a lot of people who volunteer their time. They just love watching streamers. They love being on Twitch, and, the, and in most cases, they do this for free. So that's probably that's one of the The most important things is having a good atmosphere and i think uh because of the team of mods that i've had at least this year specifically they do a very good job of controlling it Mm -hmm. and people sort of understand what is acceptable and not acceptable
0: uh when you're playing how do you find who are the people you're playing with are they people just challenge you on chess.com or you challenge or is there like a pool like how does that how does that work
2: so in most cases, I will just challenge challenge people to various uh, time controls and play games, whether it's Blitz Chess, which is three minutes, Bullet Chess, which is one minute or a slower control. That's one thing, but the, but, but what's really great about chess is there's just, I feel like so many so many avenues of content. So I can play Blitz against people. Um, I can do what are called um, viewer arenas where people who are watching the stream have the chance to play against me. I can play against subscribers of the channel. I can do blindfold games. Um, I can also play occasionally uh, serious competitions as well when I'm streaming. So. I feel like there are just so many possibilities um, in terms of content that, I mean, that's that's why chess is still booming even now, um, because there are just so many different ways of uh, of doing various ideas with chess content that a lot of the fans uh, enjoy. Could
0: you, in theory, play a few games against a podcast host on the day that uh, a podcast that you were on <laughs> came out? Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course I
2: could. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's very unsubtle, Joe.
2: So actually, um, we we, we did a test. I think it was maybe a month. It was a little over a month ago where I played um, against, I believe, 70... I think it was 77 players at the same time. So uh, I was streaming. I played against 77 players at the same time. And actually we did like a, there was a little bit of an entry fee to play, but all the money was, was donated to Doctors Without Borders. And we just did this sort of on the fly. There was oh, nothing cool. specific set up, but we just, we just did it. So yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. We
1: should do right. a- We're going to
2: make that happen.
1: Yeah, we should do a finance Twitter chess tournament like we did with poker and just have a bunch of people play.
2: That's
0: a good idea.
1: Yeah, and then donate it to charity, which is what we did, and then uh, got all our credit cards defrauded. So that was fun. Um, Hopefully that doesn't happen <laughs> again. Um, okay, I, I had a question actually uh, on a related note. I was watching some of your videos and I saw a few of them, in a few of them, you take on bots. Like there's one here saying that you took down like all of chess.com's bots and things like that. Um. Why is that interesting to people and is it different playing against bots live in this way, you know, on a streaming platform in a very uh, speedy way to taking down a real life opponent?
2: Um, yeah, so I, I think this what you're referring to was where there was a competition amongst chess streamers where we played against the the I think 30 or 35 uh, program bots that they have on chess.com. Each one has a different personality and a different skill level. So the reason that I think. People enjoy watching that is because they see they see the challenge. Like it starts out really easy. You play against these bots that are basically beginners, and by the end they're they're essentially better than than all all the human players are. So I think players like to see the progression. Um, but that's the second thing is that a lot of the is that it's not just Twitch. So a lot of my content I also upload to YouTube as well. Because strangely enough, the the YouTube audience is actually significantly different from the Twitch audience. So there are a lot of people, I feel like there are a lot more people from outside the US who will watch YouTube versus uh, Twitch, which I think is very, it's very it's very North America-centric to the US and Canada.
0: Do you think that if Tracy and I um did a thing on Twitch where we like, Had our Bloomberg terminals on the screen instead of the chessboard and talked through charts and talked macro and talked trading that that would be
2: popular? Um. Yeah. So there is a streamer who's had quite a bit of success um, streaming about finance on Twitch. I don't. I don't remember his name right off. I'll definitely try. Try to find it. But um, that's one of the great things about Twitch as well. So so for example, just briefly about politics. So so obviously there's the presidential election, yeah. and I th- I think when the election happened or when the debates were happening, at some point there were maybe three hundred thousand plus people. On Twitch, who we are watching a couple of the biggest streamers talk about it, or just watch the debate itself. And I think there was a New York Times article about it. There were several other articles, and also I think at one point, uh, AOC, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, she actually played uh, played a oh, game yeah. on Twitch with some other streamers. And when she did it the one time, there were um, there were I think about four hundred thirty thousand people who watched her stream, and that I think was the second or third highest ever. On the platform. So, it, 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 across the board, there are many, many opportunities. And I think people are seeing, I think especially like big sponsors, these big companies are seeing that people are watching more and more content on the platforms uh, like Twitch and YouTube.
1: So, you mentioned towards the beginning of this episode, Benny Watts from Queen's Gambit and how he was living in this really decrepit basement apartment in New York. And that was an accurate depiction of how chess players exist and many of them don't actually make that much money and can't exist purely off the game. Is Twitch going to be enough to change the economics of competitive chess? Uh, and secondly, are, are there any other ways that, that the economics of competitive chess are actually changing at the moment? So at
2: the moment... I mean, let's just pre-COVID, I would say that, no, the the economics of chess were not changing. It's something where maybe the top 20, top 30 players in the world make a pretty good living. Everyone after that, I mean, you struggle going from tournament to tournament, you pay your expenses. It's a very difficult lifestyle. Um, Now, because of Twitch, what you're having, first of all, is you're having a lot of streamers who are, I, I would argue, making more money than everyone except the top 20 players in the world uh, from streaming. Uh, And beyond that, the economics have changed because now you're having more major tournaments being held online. And the reason that that's different is because when you have these eyeballs, when you have the numbers of the concurrent viewers, and you can show that to brands, it's very different than saying trying to hold a major tournament over the board at, at, at you know some 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 location and try to get sponsors. So this is also why I would argue that when people talk about like um, trying to be you know, preserve the game as it is, you want more people watching the game, because that's going to lead to more sponsors, which then can potentially shake up um, the structure, you can have more and more people playing tournaments online and making money. So I'm very hopeful that chess can potentially become an esport down the road. And um, on that note, also, like I actually signed a deal in in August with one of the esports organizations, uh, TSM or Team Solo Mid, uh, to to sort of rep them and be part of their chess team. So it's a lot of stuff is going on.
0: Oh, that's cool. So do you ever play anything besides uh, chess on Twitch?
2: So from time to time, I do. Um, I mean, I've, I've played games like Among Us, uh, which is the game that AOC was oh, playing. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've played, um, what else have I played on on stream? I've also played Fortnite. I've played Call of Duty. Um, it's not something that I do frequently because most of my audience, they do watch me for right. the chess. Um, but again, I think from time to time, they, they, people do enjoy seeing that because one of the things that I would say is very unique to me specifically is that I am a, I, I, I do stream a lot, um, but I do have that credibility as a very strong chess player, one of the top one of the top in the world. Whereas there are a lot of other chess streamers who are successful, but none of them really have that sort of um, right. that long history of playing the game. And so I, I think because of that, when people see me playing so much and always being so so good and winning you know, winning almost, almost all the time when I start playing other games or, you know, I do something that looks dumb or it looks clumsy. It's, I think, I think it's good for people because it kind of, it, it puts it all in perspective that yes, I'm, I'm really good at chess, but you know, I, I, I can be bad at other games. I'm not just automatically a genius at everything.
1: So a lot of what you're discussing in terms of getting ads and sponsorship, it kind of reminds me of the Instagram economy and being an influencer on that platform. And often on that platform, you have to go out and sell yourself and you have to think about your particular brand, your content, what you're offering that no one else does and which companies might see that as beneficial to them. Is it similar on Twitch? And does that mean that it might take a different skill set to be commercially successful on that platform to, you know, playing competitive chess in the old fashioned or traditional way. Do you have to sell yourself in a particular way that, that you didn't have to do in in competitive chess tournaments?
2: Well, I think first of all, I'm very lucky because I do have an agent um, and I am represented by United Talent agency. So I don't actually have to do the selling of myself per se, um, but most of the time what happens is like the agent will come to me and he'll ask me about, you know, this brand or that brand. Do you want to like do sponsored streams? How, how do you want to promote them? Does it fit in well with what you do? And, and one thing is I, I have a lot of people who watch my stream as well because I tend not to, you know, curse. I don't I, I keep the language pretty, pretty PG. And so there, there are a lot of kids who watch my stream. So I am very cognizant of that in terms of uh, in terms of sponsors that I want to be, be talking about or, or, or representing. Um now over the board this is one thing that's very I mean it's it's very odd to me just thinking about my whole career being being a pro chess player for for the last decade or or more um which is that I struggled very very much to get sponsors. Like, it was very difficult getting sponsors when I would go compete and play over-the-board tournaments. I think, again, it's because it's not something that you can directly quantify. Like, I can say I play this tournament, and the organizers might say, well, you know, we have X amount of viewership online. But it's not, it's, it's, I think, a lot harder of a sell. Whereas when you're, say, streaming on Twitch, Mm -hmm. I can just say, well, you know, I had... This number of viewers, that's what I had. Or I've had this number the last 30 days. It's right there. It's quantifiable in a way that um, I think trying to get sponsors for over-the-board chess isn't. And, and so I think that's why... Um, that's also why I think chess is very well suited for being on the internet because the whole audience or you know, 90, 99% of the audience is already online when they watch the over, over-the-board tournaments as well.
0: Magnus has been in like perfume ads and
2: Calvin Klein ads and stuff, hasn't he? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one thing that's really difficult about chess is that there are certain places where chess is really revered. It's viewed as something that's like a, or it's like super serious. I mean, people like Magnus in Norway, I mean, he's probably one of the five most popular people in the whole country. Right. Um, and so in some countries uh, it's like that, but say in the U S for example, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, as a streamer now, I'm being an influencer and being on Twitch, I think I'm, I'm much more recognizable, but prior to this boom, I mean, I was essentially nobody. I mean, people knew who I was to some degree, but it wasn't something um, where I was really known. And that, that tends to apply to most places. Um, in terms of chess, but there are there are a handful of places where where it's really really serious and people view it as a major sport. It's and um, and so there there's a lot of reverence given towards towards players and, and towards the game in general.
1: Why has the U.S. lagged behind some other places in, in terms of making chess a, a big thing that people are really dedicated to? And, and secondly, are there any efforts underway to try to change that? Are people actively trying to develop um, U.S. chess?
2: Rex Singfield, he's uh he's a billionaire. Um he was the co-founder of Dimensional Fund Advisors, uh ETF. I mean, they basically pr- promote oh, yeah. ETFs. Um he uh, he's done a lot for chess, probably starting around 2010. So, so essentially the last decade or so St. Louis started out by holding the U S championship, the U S women's championship and the U S juniors championship. So those were the championships for best players overall, the best uh, female players and also the best junior players under the age of 20. So they started out with holding those major events, but now they've started holding tournaments for, um, Uh, for trying to get the titles like international master grandmaster and so forth. They, I think there are programs at St. Louis university, uh, Webster university. And I think Lindenwood also, those are three universities in St. Louis. So there's been a big push in St. Louis, which I think is really important because uh, a lot of times kids stop playing the game around the time that they're about 16, 17, which is normally when you have to make the decision whether you're going to be a pro chess player or whether you're going to, say, go to school and pursue a different career. And having these opportunities, I think, has, has led to a lot of junior players continuing to play the game now. And um, there, there is an American player right now who's actually, I think, the number number two ranked player in the world under the age of, I believe, 21. So, uh, St. Louis has been at the forefront of trying to um of, of trying to promote US chess specifically. And then in terms of why is chess lagged behind in the US, I would say in large part that's because after the Fisher boom in the 1970s, for about 20 to 30 years, the interest just waned and and kind of died. It died out. There just wasn't much interest in the game until a new generation came around. So that's that's also why when I look at this boom on on Twitch or on the internet in general, um, I try to do as much as I can to try and push chess and promote chess because I've seen these boom to bust cycles happen at least two or three times actually in my lifetime alone. Uh so so I try to do what I can to keep keep pushing it ahead. So my daughter is uh
0: four and a half, actually she's almost five, and I'm trying to teach her chess. And I'm I started with like rook end games, like her having two rooks against my king to see if she could checkmate me. Is that a good start?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I I actually remember one of the first checkmates I learned was king and queen against king. And okay. um, I, I think the basic checkmates are really, really, really important. Um, you know, one thing I would say that really makes chess also unique besides, you know, everything else is that you can do puzzles. Like you can do these puzzles um, on an iPad um, on your computer where you just learn these basic checkmating patterns and you can do puzzles over and over and over again. And when I think of a lot of other major esports and a lot of games, like for example, um, something you know, like like a shooter game, like Call of Duty. It's, it's very much in the moment, like you, you try to make sure you aim correctly, you, you try to get the best, um, best spot when you're shooting and so forth. But it's not something where you can replicate it or do it again in exactly the same way. It's always going to be different. It's sort of the instincts or the skill on the spot. And with chess, you can go back and always like replay a game, start a new game, you can do puzzles. It's just very easy, I think, to get into it. And that's why a lot of people, um, are, I think, are, are finding it once again after not playing for a while.
1: This was something I was wondering after watching Queen's Gambit, actually. So a prominent part of that series for anyone who hasn't seen it yet is this genius chess player, the main character of the story. She sort of at night sits there and thinks and uh, envisions chess plays on, on the ceiling of her bedroom. And you can see her sort of thinking through all the different permutations, uh, the ways that the pieces could actually move on the board. How much of being a successful chess player is about memorizing those different possibilities versus, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, versus sort of actively, I don't know, like trying to size up your opponent and reacting properly to your opponent. Like How much of it is is rote memory and mathematics versus something else?
2: I mean, I think a large part of it, I mean, up until maybe you're a grand master, is very much about about like memorization of opening strategies, but also the pattern recognition of seeing, you know, when piece on certain squares, it's like, you can sort of sense that there's some sort of combination of using one or two of the pieces to create a checkmate or to attack your opponent's king. And so I think a large part is is definitely about memorization and just pattern recognition if, if you're trying to become like grandmaster better. Um, but I think even if you don't have that, you can still probably get to about an expert level, which is about 2000 ELO or better than probably I would say 98% of players in the world. So, um, you can still get to a very high level, even if you don't have everything memorized, you know, or or you don't have it all down super, super hard.
0: I have another Queens gambit question. And I, this is where I thought that Tracy was going to go at the last question But how um, prevalent is the use of performance enhancing drugs (laughs) in the world of top level chess? And is that something tested? Like, what's the deal with stuff like that?
2: So, yeah, um, I, to my knowledge, I don't, I mean, I've never come across any, any drugs that I think are performance enhancing. Now, I know for quite a while, uh, the governing body, FIDE, they were trying very hard to get chess into the Olympics. So at the chess Olympics, which are held every two years, they were doing drug testing. Um, I think the last like three or four of them they did. But other than I think Adderall and um, there's Modafinil, I think, or is that, is that the same thing? But I think there are a couple of drugs that are banned and they try to say you can't have more than three or four. Four cups of coffee, but that's about the extent in terms of um, what they consider performance enhancing drugs so no as far as, far as I know I don't think there, there there really are now maybe maybe people will prove me wrong, but it's not something that that i've that's widespread or is even known Mo- most players don't don't um don't do drugs hmm.
1: um is there anything else you see coming up on the horizon of the world of chess that's going to be the next big thing so this year we had the shift to streaming and we had queen's gambit is there something else that you're keeping your eye on at the moment
2: well right now there's i mean i think the final part of it for me that i see is um is is chess becoming sort of a bona fide e-sport and what i mean by that is having top level competitions with free with you know with some frequency like once a month or thereabouts and actually at the moment there is a, what's called the chess champions tour where they're holding a, one online tournament every month so the first one was in november there will be one in december one in january all the way out through i think october of next year and these prize funds are very substantial i think the the first prize of the event that i just played was thirty thousand dollars the next one will be sixty thousand um so the prizes are are quite large And i think once you have these events established you have the top players competing um, you'll have more sponsors involved, and I think chess can become very, very big. So that's really what I'm looking forward to the most is seeing if chess can become a true esport, the way, like, say, Dota or League of Legends have become around the world.
0: All right. So, when I play, I, I as I mentioned at the beginning, I don't have much time to play. I sometimes like play in between like a meeting or something like that. I'm about uh, 1500 right now on Blitz. Should I, if I want to like get up to say like 1800, mm-hmm. Should I spend more time learning openings and really like sort of like committing those to memory or should I spend time doing tactics puzzles?
2: Um, if you have to pick one, I would say tactics puzzles, but I think mainly you're at a level where you should have a pretty good, um, you should have pretty good pattern recognition. So I think mainly it's just playing as much as you can. Thank you.
0: I, thank you for that endorsement of playing <laughs> as much as I can. I'll keep doing that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, that's one thing that's very uh, interesting is when they we had this tournament called PogChamps, which featured streamers, a lot of streamers had some understanding of the game, but they, they, they're pretty new to it. And so in the cases like that, it's very important that they sort of do puzzles to try and get pattern recognition, but you're already past that stage where you're sort of a, I would say, you know, intermediate-ish player and so you've already had quite a bit of experience with puzzles so there it's more i think just playing as much as you can because you're gonna you're gonna pick up the you're gonna see what you did wrong games much more easily than someone who's new to the game where say if i'm totally new and i play a game i don't know what to look for once i've lost a game i just go start the next game but i'm not really learning anything per se whereas because you've played quite a bit i think it's more likely that you're going to be able to pick up on what you did wrong and so that's where playing a lot will really come in handy for someone like you
0: well, I think on that note, uh, Hikaru, it a great place to leave it. Really appreciate you uh, joining us, and I will definitely take internalize your advice to play as much as possible to improve my game.
2: Great. Well, it's great. It's great talking to you guys once again.
1: We should do the um, we should do the charity tournament. Yeah, that'd be fun.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, that, that would be great. Yeah, we can we can figure that out. But that that would be awesome.
0: All right. Thanks, Hikaru. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. No problem. Thanks, Hikaru. Talking to Hikaru is really fun. And I think like just anyone listening to that anyone can see is just like very like easygoing, um, sort of positive person. I think you could sort of understand why, in addition to being really good at chess, like why he's a popular person to watch on Twitch.
1: Yeah, this was what I was sort of trying to get at with a few of the questions. I think it maybe does take a particular personality and a particular brand to become that successful on a streaming platform but i i have to say hikaru is really nice and i personally as someone who doesn't play much chess endorse his message of making it as uh accessible as possible to a wide range of people
0: he is really nice and i also think that's like kind of different from the like traditional like chess master stereotype Mm -hmm. i don't know if the chess master stereotype you know you always sort of think of these sort of like dark intellectual types who like get really angry and like knock over the board <laughs> when someone you know makes a wrong pawn move or something like that and that's not his vibe at all um it's certainly not how he comes off i don't know maybe like when he's like practicing for like true like grandmaster tournament play he's a uh, more severe but um you know it really comes through and i think like you know it lends itself to this sort of uh this new era of the game
1: yeah, I guess the stakes are lower when you're you're streaming on Twitch, I suppose. Wait, people get mad if you make a wrong move with a pawn if you like mess up their game or their strategy.
0: No, I think it's like did you ever see that movie like uh Searching for Bobby Fischer where it's like the the teacher is like teaching the kid how to play and he's like it's like more like the stereotype of like the stern old chess master like teaching remember even like the 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 guy like in uh in the show queen's gambit like you know the teacher in the basement
1: Yes, he took it very seriously Yeah, that's true
0: right like that kind of vibe i think
1: yeah but that is i mean it feels like that's the vibe that we are beginning to see change slightly you have this cultural movement in the form of queen's gambit you have these new online economics and dynamics that might be reshaping the game and speed chess or blitz chess is a pretty good example of of one way that maybe it's evolving and and one way that it might become more popular and i guess hikaru made the point that this has happened before and we've had these boom bust cycles but maybe this is a significant one
0: yeah hopefully it uh hopefully it lasts because it's uh pretty fun i I enjoy it okay
1: all right shall we leave it there
0: yeah let's leave it there
1: This has been another episode of the Odd Thoughts Podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway.
0: And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. You can follow our guest on Twitter, Hikaru Nakamura. He's at GM Hikaru. And on Twitch, he's also GM Hikaru. Definitely check him out there. Very fun. Follow our producer, Laura Carlson, at Laura M. Carlson. Follow the Bloomberg head of podcasts, Francesca Levy, at Francesca Today, and check out all of our podcasts under the handle at podcasts. Thanks for listening.